Welcome, Pudding People, to another episode of Everybody Loves Pudding. I'm your host, Ken Seymour. We have a fantastic episode for you today. We delve back into the realm of acting and major cinema and television. We have a special guest with us, Mr. Gene Silvers. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank, thank you for having me, Ken. Well, I am always excited when I get the opportunity to speak to somebody that's in the industry. This is uh, an industry I've loved for so long, and it's kind of a, almost has a romantic uh, feel to people that have been involved with it and have been around it for a while, and it's kind of a special thing. So getting your perspective from the inside of the mechanical beast that creates our dreams that we watch on television is always just fantastic. Sure. But now, one of the things I wanted to ask, you didn't start out in in acting. Uh, from what I understand, you actually started out in magic. Is that accurate? Yes, that, that is correct. I, um, I, I grew up in Long Beach, Long Island, and I was a shy, uh, pretty shy kid. Didn't have a lot of friends. And uh, I saw this one kid, he brought in a, a magic trick, just like the you put something in a little drawer, drawer and you close it and you open it and it's gone. A very simple thing. Me and this kid became very close. Um, and we just started doing magic together uh, from a very young age. And, uh, you know, magic is one of those things that you can become obsessed with. Um, so I, I, I became, me and this kid became very obsessed with it. And uh, it actually kind of got me popular in junior high school. I would I would start doing a trick in the hallway and the next thing you know there'd be like 10 rows of kids and they'd uh, they they'd ask me to stop doing it because I would block the hallways so it it made me popular and um oh and by the way the the kid that I started doing uh magic with we his name was Ricky Rubin and uh we started doing magic uh, together from the Long Beach Magic Club and he ended up being a uh, a, a little producer named Rick Rubin. I don't know if you know Rick <laughs> Rubin. Yes, indeed. That's actually really awesome. Do you still stay in touch? No, I can't seem to get in touch with him. Rick, if you're out there, <laughs> look me up. Gene Silvers is my acting name. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of crazy. It's It's amazing the connections that we can make over the course of our lives and not realize that that the uh, impact that our friends and family can sometimes make. Now, yeah, yeah. you had you had this this love of magic. Did you have a particular after you gotten into a little bit with your friend? Did you have a preference? I mean, there's so many different avenues that you can go in with magic. Whether it's the sleight of hand, uh, kind of in in person, up close kind of magic, or whether it's the yeah. uh, mentalism or the large stage uh, stage props and getting everything uh, in the large illusions. Do did you have a preference in any of those? Um. Well, my preference, first of all, was somewhat limited by my budget. Um, um, I remember, you know, at the high school uh, graduation or some big event, uh, me and, and Ricky Rubin, Rick Rubin did a show. I did the zombie, which is a pretty, it's a floating silver ball. I did it with a strobe light and to really cool music. And, you know, it went over great. But Rick Rubin did something called the Osra levitation in which a, a woman levitates a, a, about 10 feet up in the air. And then you yank the, the cloth off her and she's gone. And that's about a $10,000 illusion. Right. Ricky grew up fairly wealthy. So he <laughs> he he did illusions <laughs> like that. And I you know, this thing costs about twelve dollars. The, the thing that I did. So. So uh, I, I was sort of cut out of the illusions, although me and my dad did build a couple of illusions. Um, I did a substitution trunk where you would switch, you know, you would stand on top and the assistant would go and say, you go one, two, three. And it, the assistant would switch places. But whatever I was able to build, I, I made larger illusions, but. I rarely got a chance to perform them growing up in Long Island. I didn't have a massive assistance in a truck, so I just did smaller shows. Uh, I enjoyed doing close-up magic for adults, which I really love doing because it's more sophisticated and it, it's more magical. But I tend to get more work doing kids' shows. Right. 
which is, you know, it's still cool magic, but it's more about entertainment and being funny and, you know, which I, which I, which I enjoy too, because it's working with kids, but doing the close up is, is certainly something I enjoy more. And I even perform, uh, I don't think I've mentioned it at the Magic Castle in Los Angeles. Oh, that's cool. I mean, that's yeah. kind of that, that is the place to go. I've kind of always right. visit that. What was that yeah. like? I mean, I, I I always hear about this. You know, I've seen some things filmed within the castle, but oh. it, it doesn't give kind of that that ambiance. That what 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 is visiting that place like? Well, first of all, I'm super glad that you heard of it. But uh, anyone who's involved in magic has it's uh, yeah, it's it's a Victorian mansion from the early 1900s that Milt Larson turned into this place. And uh, all the rooms are um, like velvet curtains and, and newspaper articles of magicians from the early 1900s are are on the walls. And uh, it's just it's it's almost like Disneyland uh, a, a, a a vaudeville vaudeville Disneyland from the early 1900s with mechanical uh, palm readers and it, it's very cool and interesting so um yeah everybody has to dress up when you go there men have to wear suit and tie women have to dress appropriately so there's a certain style so you kind of feel like you're stepping into a, a really cool speakeasy that's awesome. I I know, like so I've seen, I've seen, I've been lucky enough to see several performances that occurred there remotely. You know, they recorded it, and I was able to see it secondhand. Uh, some, you know, some of the classic cups and balls. Oh um, yeah. Oh, then you were in the the, the close up room. There's three right. rooms there: close up, the parlor, and the stage I've for the three been. types of uh, magic. Now that's it, what's I've seen. I've seen pretty much everything done in the close up room. What is the the stage area like? Is that an actual kind of theatrical stage? Oh yes, it's it's an actual stage. It's probably a hundred seat theater, but it's but it's a stage uh, of the vibe of nineteen uh, twenties. Everything is very the red velvet curtains, like I said, and it, it just it has a vibe of you're stepping into another century. Uh, but yeah, it's a hundred seat theater with a proper stage and. That's where the illusion, the illusionists do their thing. That's awesome. Where the dub producers and you know, I, 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 that is one of those things. You know, everybody has their own kind of bucket list, and that's one of the ones that's on mine to to. Oh, and it was on mine to perform there. Yeah, I, I tried. Uh, I know as a younger a younger gentleman, I uh, I attempt to like this is something that I could maybe do, and I started working on my uh, on my finger skills and quickly found out that I just did not possess the dexterity <laughs> to do it. But it's like well, it a, just takes practice. Yes, it does. A lot of practice. Um, but, you know, you had mentioned earlier before we started that you might even be able to give us an example of uh, a little bit of your, your magical skill. I would love okay. to see a little of this. Okay, so I could do a... a card trick and a coin trick or illusion now the card the card one is among magicians it's pretty simple yeah okay but but among laymen it's kind of cool so hopefully let me make sure you can see this Absolutely. i'm, I'm going to be tilting the camera down a little bit so uh fantastic so the, the deck of cards stays within your view okay i'm going to reach so for the take screen. A second deck i've got a, i've got another deck of cards here all right, all right so i'm just going to grab it there it is. You, you see it? <laughs> I, I, my, my middle eye can see it. Absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. So with the third eye, I'm going to hand it to you through the screen. Just take it. Take it if you would. All right. I'll you take it. Good? Now shuffle it, please. All right. That works shuffle for me. Uh, riffle shuffle is good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, now hand it back to me when you're done shuffling. All right. There we go. Thank you so much. I got it. I'm going to fan it out. I'm making a, a perfect card fan now. So I, I, I see thing. it. I see it. You're going to, you're going to take one card out of there. All right. I'll this take the card. Now I'm going to throw the rest away. Now look at the card. All right. You have, you have the card. I do. I'm going to pull back a little bit. So you, you see, the, I'm going to try to keep the uh, deck within the screen the whole time. So you, so you don't see any funny moves or anything. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. I keep the deck back here. So I want you to tell me what, what card did you choose? The five of spades. 
five of spades, an interesting card, interesting card. Okay. Not many people choose that, you know, so uh, that, that says a lot about you. Um, so, so take the five of spades, hold it out and turn it face down. Okay. Like this, like All right. face down. I'm turning it face down. Okay. And I want you to slide it into my deck face down. Go All ahead. right. There we go. Okay, you put it in there. You I took did. the five of spades and you, you, you turned it over. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to tilt the screen down. See, all you can see are the cards. I'm going to go through the cards very slowly and um, see if there's a... See if there's a... Wait a minute. Somewhere in here... Oh, okay, okay, Ken, do you, do you notice... That there, there's a face down card there. I see it. You see that there's one one face down card amongst all the cards. Could you tell me what card that is? That is the five of spades. That is amazing. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, if you want to see something with a coin, I have to get up for a second. Uh, I think that would be just fine. Absolutely. Okay. We'll, we'll pause. Let me do it very quickly. Very right. quickly. Here we go. So, uh, okay. So this is, the, this is the coin roll. It's like when I was around 15 years old, all I did was uh, work on this for a long time, okay? Yep. Hopefully. Can you, can you see okay? I can. Watch. If you take the coin and you place it right there and you rub, you see how it vanishes? You could actually show both sides of your hand and just kind of go like that. And it comes back, okay? Very nice. Do it again. Uh, if you see the coin right there, you I take it, it with the coin just like that. You snap, you rub, and it's gone. That is just a joy to watch. I love, I love the 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 manipulation to it. It's it's just it's just fantastic. I I started with the coin roll, and I would always uh. get to the pinky, and it would end up on the floor. And there were six months of that. <laughs> Wow, I, I used to be able to do it on this hand too till uh, my accident. Oh, that is that is wonderful. There's just there's just a different kind of joy that you can get out of creating this shared fantasy. I mean, it, that's that's kind of relative also to what you do now with acting, right? You, yes, I've never heard anybody put it that way, but that's actually quite true. And it's just, it, it's beautiful to be able to, to create something. It's fleeting, it's temporary, but it leaves a lasting impression and can kind of give you that just kind of bright spot as you move along your day. And maybe even if it's, if it's potentially impactful enough, it can be something that can stay with you forever. And it's just kind of, kind of wonderful. So the last magic question that I, that I really have for you, and, and I, <clears throat> And I saw uh, in the, in the notes that I looked at that you were able to actually perform for some rather high-profile individuals. Is that true? Yes, yes. In both New York and L.A., where I live uh, now, um, tell you a few few of the names. <laughs> okay, <laughs> my, my my first my first gig through this friend of mine who's a party planner. My first one here was Julia Roberts. Wow. Okay. And um, I've actually been at her house three times, got to know her kids um, uh, in New York, <clears throat> Robert De Niro. Um, uh, who else? Um, oh, Jack Black, um, Robert Downey Jr., Meryl Streep. Um, oh, when I hypnotized um, Gwyneth Paltrow with a rubber chicken and sawed her <laughs> husband, Chris Martin, in half. Oh, that's... Ex-husband. Oh, well, you know, it's got to be X after that. When you get sawed in half here, it's not the same afterwards. That's it. That's it. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's a... De, Niro, De Niro watched me perform at a, at a kid's show um, where the kids got out of hand. And uh, I had a sawing in half illusion with an electric saw. So I kind of waved it at them and it said, you, you kids, be quiet or I'll saw you in half. And then uh, and then <laughs> after the show, I, I got, got some... Uh, courage together and went up to Mr. De Niro just to tell him what a huge fan I was. And the first thing he said to me was, I like the way you handle those kids. <laughs> you threaten them with that saw. <laughs> That's got to be so much, so surreal 
I mean, really, I mean, because we see these people and we, if you're in the industry, a lot of times your goal is to kind of be one of those people that, that a lot of people recognize and, and have, have, can kind of enjoy the work. But when you see somebody so close and it's sometimes, at least I have found that sometimes for me, it's been difficult to separate uh, the person's work from the person that they are. Have you, have you ever had kind of that starstruck moment, whether it was in doing magic or in working on some of the projects that you've worked with, uh, that you just go, man, I, I really, I really respect this individual, but I'm so nervous to, to talk to them and work with them. That happens pretty much every time I meet one of those individuals, um, you know, I, I mean, like when I did the magic show for these kids and De Niro was sitting there watching me, I'm doing <laughs> magic and trying to be funny with kids and Robert De Niro sitting there looking at me. It was utterly surreal or pretty much every time. And then it's, if it's someone I admire, I kind of want to say something to them um, and that I get extremely nervous. In, in fact, last week. I did a show for Henry Winkler, his grandkids, oh, and I have a picture with him. That's actually, so cool. Oh. And yeah, and so I, I just, but he was such a chill guy. He was such a chill guy, and I ended up showing him what I just showed you. Nice. And then afterwards, he goes, "Let me show you something," and he takes out a quarter and he bites it in half, and he happened to have a magic trick in his pocket. So um, <laughs> that's awesome, you know, and so it was great. You know, every every celebrity is obviously different, um, mm. but, you know, some are real chill. And Jack Black was really funny. I, you know, he was a very. Yeah, but his uh, <laughs> just one more funny story. Uh, I was doing the uh, show for Jack Black's kid and the kid, his kid kept coming up to me and saying, my my daddy's Jack Black. My daddy's Jack Black, right? So at the end of the show, I said hi to Mr. Black, and I said, you know, your kid keeps coming up to me and saying, my daddy's Jack Black. And uh, Jack Black says to me, he knows what side his bread is buttered on. <laughs> yeah, I always felt like you know, he always seemed like somebody that would just kind of always be on. or, or uh... he, he was like like that with the response. But um, – yeah, it is. It is nervous and surreal. And but when you're acting with someone who's well known, then you got to get over that fast because you're working with them as they are a character with a specific relationship with you, and that relationship may not be that you're like <laughs> scared of them and looking up to them. It yeah. could be anything. So you've got to. Uh, just uh, focus on what you have to do and try to get that out of your mind. Absolutely. Well, how did you transition from magic to acting in the first place? Did you go to school to learn the craft or was this something you just jumped into feet first? Um, it was my dad who first recommended that I just try out a school play. I'd been performing magic for a while. This is when I was still a teenager and uh you know oddly he it would uh, you, you know you wouldn't think a parent would want you to be an actor but um uh my dad was a sculptor and a painter he went to cooper union which is a very prestigious uh art school in new york and he was going to have a career as a as an artist a, um a, a commercial uh, artist and uh once he got married and had me and my brother, my mom and his sister convinced him that he could never uh, make enough money to um, support a family as, as an artist. So we gave it up and uh, became a pharmacist, uh, which he uh, which he hated. He came home every day and it would just express how much he disliked doing it. But he did it for years on end. And so when he. he I had a creative side. He he actually encouraged me, and he suggested, which was to uh, try acting. I did, uh, and I had a moment in one of the I don't remember what play it was. Might have been Charlie's Aunt or 
South Pacific, some high school production. But I had one moment on stage. It was one moment that it was just a pure connection with the other. I just said one line. I don't remember what it was, but it just came out so real. I I wasn't acting. I just kind of said it to the other actor. And we just had a moment of, of honesty and the audience kind of disappeared. And I don't know, I just, it was a thrilling moment. I mean, there's a couple of kinds of acting. There's extroverted where you're kind of half performing it. And then there's the kind where you're experiencing it in, in a more personal way. Right. And um, I had one of those moments and I said, that's, that was incredible. And uh, from that moment on, I, I, I'm still trying to find moments like that. In a, well, that's that's the joy right there. I, 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 <clears throat> I had some some history with theater, and I've always loved it because of that. And being able to, you know, most most people only ever really see it from the viewer's perspective, but being able to see it from the other side, from the actual work that goes into making everything, and trying to create that that connection that uh, that can, you know touch the individual audience members and, and give them something special. That's, that's a real, a real transformative, uh, kind of, um, process. Did you ever have one of my favorite things? I've talked to several other people and I I was never, I never felt like I really had it myself, but I love hearing about other people that have had it where you were performing something on stage, uh, with a live audience and something elicited a reaction whether that be you were in a comedy and it they were rolling in the aisles or you were doing a more dramatic uh scene and you could hear people crying did you ever have one of those moments yes mostly in comedies (laughs) mostly in comedies you know um yes i've had several um several those 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 are the best those are the best and it usually happens because i've done something outrageous i mean do you want to hear what yes absolutely one one example i've had i've had several one is um there was a character was a playwright's workshop uh not a not a huge audience maybe 20 to 30 people and uh the uh the, the play he had written this play and the play was about this english um detective who um had these giant ears okay and right. and uh he was doing an interrogation of this uh, this criminal and the criminal keeps looking at his ears and and he, he he starts saying what are you looking at you looking at my ears my oversized you know or whatever they're called scientifically it was he goes people always made fun of these but now you know and he talks about his rise as a detective because people used to make fun of his ears okay nice. that was the kind of the gist of the, this scene and so without telling anyone i had i had gone to this makeup shop and gotten these gigantic uh very realistic ears and glued them on before i went out on stage i mean these things were like dumbo ears they were they were massive <laughs> nice. and everything else was quite serious and uh you know the scene starts out this kid is sitting at the interrogation table and i enter and i sit down in front of him I did, and this kid wasn't expecting this, and he couldn't keep a straight face, okay? <laughs> and then I started improvising, why are you laughing at me, what, you know? And the, the whole thing went insane, and the audience could tell this had this was completely real. People were rolling in the aisles. They were rolling. One, one woman told me she actually literally pissed herself. <laughs> Uh, because of this nice. um I, but that's something that was kind of under my control right um but i've had tons of crazy moments where i've done spontaneous things and uh the audience just howls and um you know you pick up on it as a performer you know you it, it's almost and dare i say this you know for any aspiring actors because you know acting teachers would kill me for saying this but you oh, it's almost okay to start breaking a little bit right. you know 
because it's so real, you know, and um, well, those are some of the funniest moments on stage. A lot of stage. sketch comedy lives on that. SNL is like that all the time. I, exactly. A good That's chunk exactly of their right. stuff. They, yeah. they can't keep, they cannot keep in character because the idea is so ridiculous. And just kind of. Oh, oh. oh, I do have one more quick, quick one. Oh, yeah. Um, this, this was a show, a midnight show in New York called Hot Keys. And um, I was doing this with um, uh, Mariska Hargitay's husband oh okay nice. me and uh me and this guy uh peter were doing we're playing these two uh these two spies you know maybe i better not tell because this was a long. I, we did something very very yeah. inappropriate but you had well we'll, we'll infer know, that it was a lot of fun i don't want to get a lot you of in fun. trouble it was a lot of fun <laughs> so yeah that's yeah. all i'll say yeah so, seven de- seven degrees of svu right there right yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. You've had this experience now in live theater and you've been able to kind of feel the adrenaline rush that goes along with performing live. And you, you have had the experience of being part of the creative process in making these shows. How did you transition into creating, uh, being a part of television shows and movies? And what was the biggest challenge in the difference in the way that those were put together that you had to rise to overcome well i well you i guess part of it is you're asking the basic difference between stage and tv and and film you know um you know there are many many differences and you do have to make adjustments especially if you're doing larger plays for a while, I was doing a lot of off-off-Broadway sh- shows, so it w- would be a small house, so you could be intimate and real, and you wouldn't have to be that that big. Uh, the last play I did in New York was actually a Broadway show um, called Irina's Vow, a, a Holocaust play. It was really an amazing show, and it was in a thousand-seat theater. So, you know, from day one, the director was screaming at me to be louder, be louder, be louder. You know, I I wasn't used to that, but after a year of Broadway and off Broadway, you know, you start adjusting it. You start being, I hate to say bigger because it still has to be real, but you, but you need to make sure that the last row gets what you're doing. So you, your moments can all they, um, it, 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 the intimacy has, has to be there, but it has to be a larger than life right. uh, intimacy. Um, and it's more about the writing in, in a play. It's it's more language based and, it, and it's an actor's journey in a show in, in another way, because you start out the, the scenes happen in, in chronological order. So as you go through the play, it's like you're going through a, a journey of this character. It's not piecemeal like like a TV show. It's just it's one journey right. with this through through this character's uh, experience, and um, and then there's a live audience there. So there's no take two or take three. You you got to nail it right there and then. There's no second chance, you know, and um, that provides a, a certain level of excitement. And and every time you do really get involved and you you are in it and it's all working and the audience like you said before they're right there with you so it's almost like this shared experience uh i'm gonna get a little erudite here but it's almost like a shamanic experience you're up there expressing these emotions through this character and the audience is there like living it with you Right. So there's that shared feeling that it all creates a certain thrill and, and feeling of aliveness. And Al Pacino put it very well. He said it's like um, uh, living on a live wire mm-hmm. is how he described being on stage. Um, and then when you're in film or TV, it, all of a sudden it's completely different. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it, it's got to be from at least for me utterly real you have to talk to someone in the most genuine way if you if you try to perform anything or or overact it 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 
doesn't look good at all. It's it looks like bad acting. Right. So, you know, your your moments can be expressed much more nuanced and much more subtle. Just a, a shift of the eyes or a very small expression, you know, things can be kept very, very small and it can still express the character's journey. And, uh, and, and, and you've got multiple takes. So if you don't nail it, you can do it again, or you can try 20 different things in, in, in 20 different takes. Um, so there's that. Yeah. So it's, it's all, it's a lot different, um, than, than being in a play. Each one of them has their, has their, their pros and, and cons. Yeah, that that definitely seems to be the the general consensus that there's a certain lowering of pressure in one sense because you don't have to get it right immediately. Uh, uh, for anyone that's been on stage and had a long monologue and then forgotten a portion of it in the middle of it, <laughs> and it's terrifying. There are nightmares that actors have about literal nightmares that that I, I i used to have those nightmares when i was on broadway that i'd forget some lines and there were a couple of nights where it happened not with me but with the other actor and we started improvising right <laughs> it's it uh it's it's different and you don't have that but it seems to me that because the because the vision in a play you're kind of given from the director's um uh notes and uh well their direction the general idea of where the play is but the audience is much more part of it and you can kind of feel that energy and adjust as you go but in filming television or movies it's all about the director's vision uh, that's correct absolutely and it's and it's and it's also more of a visual medium right the story can be told through different shots not even involving actors you know it's uh one is more language and one is more so okay now i have to ask uh, you know we've talked a little bit now about uh, the television and film uh, the differences that are there um but more specifically i was hoping to get a little bit of information about some of the projects you've been working on more recently now you've got a couple of uh very prominent uh, projects that have come out recently that you're involved with. And I'd, I'd love to know just a little bit about uh, uh, each of them. Um, I, I want to kind of start with uh, the project Them, which is, it's a very powerful concept and t taken um, from a slightly different point of view, or maybe not point of view, but a slightly different way of conveying some of the the ideas that they want to, because it's a very sensitive, sensitive set of topics that it deals with. Tell me just a little bit about this and your part in it. Um, well, the, the overall series uh, starts with um, this, uh, this uh, um, black couple having a uh, a very difficult time somewhere down south. Uh, this is during the 1950s. Uh, uh, husband's a engineer. Uh, his wife is about to have a child, and um, they try to escape the the racism uh, that they're experiencing down south. They move to Compton, California. Um, now, at the time in the 1950s, uh, I didn't realize this that Compton was like this uh, all white uh, planned community suburb you know with the white picket fences and the perfect lawns and um this couple moved there and they were the only black uh, uh couple in the neighborhood and at first the neighbors come out may appear to be friendly but gradually you realize they're they're not so friendly and that's uh putting it pretty mildly uh they start getting terrorized um and and there's even a supernatural element to the house that they're living in um, so, um, throughout the series, there's this one tall stranger who's their main, uh, uh provocateur or the, the one that torments them the most. And, um, this episode that I'm in, uh, is the origin story of this character and the actor who plays him, his name is Christopher Heyerdahl. You've probably seen him in a lot of different shows. He was on hell on wheels and right. twilight. And he, he always plays these sort of uh, 
elegant, creepy kind of guys. Great actor. Great right. actor. Um, so this is his origin story, and it takes place after the Civil War. There is a Dutch religious farming community out west. You don't know where it is, but it's clearly in a, in a desert and um, somewhere out west. Uh, and um, we're, we, it, with incredible costumes, we have like these authentic Dutch costumes. We all spoke in a Dutch accent, um, you know, it was <laughs> incredibly authentic. Um, this 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 black couple is uh, passing through the desert. They're they're trying to find a religious community themselves, uh, but their wagon breaks down, uh, and it just happens to be within eye shot of um, of Christopher Epps and his adopted son, and so they are brought into our community while we try to uh, fix their wagon wheel. Uh, it, it requires a, a metal, which we don't have. So one of our elders has to travel pretty far to get this metal. And so in the meanwhile, they're stuck in this community for quite a while. And um, at first, I'm the sole voice who uh, isn't too happy or vocally not too happy about them coming. Um, I'm sort of a rebellious, uh, frustrated, angry guy. Um, and I start saying pretty negative stuff about them. Uh, eventually, Christopher Heyerdahl sort of takes the baton from me and the whole community starts turning against them and pretty horrible things happen. And that's that's an understatement. Right. Um yeah, it, it ends pretty badly for them, no pun intended, and all of us. Uh, so yeah. this this is something that actors have to face a lot. You're not always going to get a character that you can uh, easily relate to and be able to bring to life. When you are presented with um, a character that has such a negative worldview, uh, such a uh, such a problematic personality. How do you come to a point where you can be that person for the purposes of the production? Uh, how do you get into a mindset to be so radically different from yourself? Okay, I mean there's there's a there's a few ways of doing this. You know, one you can just act it and. Um, Still, there are people who are technically very good at that, and they can they can bring that uh, across very, very well. I mean, um, actually, uh, Christopher uh, is was is more of that school, which is you know more like Juilliard or Meryl Street might be the the pinnacle of that style of acting. Even though ultimately um, she feels a great deal, but she starts out in a sense of everything technical and mm -hmm. with precision, and um, you can, as long as it's effective, it, it works. And, um, but that really is not my background in acting. My, my background is to, is to bring myself to it through my own feelings, which, uh, is easy if, if it's a character you can relate to, but if it's a character that you can't relate to, I mean, this character, I'll just be straight, is an extreme racist and he does terrible things. And, um, you know, this is not in my nature, even remotely. I have a multi-ethnic wife and, you know, so it's, it, it, so I had to find a way of, of bringing these feelings to life to make it real because I'm, I'm not a very good technical actor. It wouldn't, it wouldn't work for me, you know, or you could play like a James Bond villain. Who's just like, yeah, a little mustache you know, twirling <laughs> and, and, you know, as someone who's, who's uh, enjoys being evil. Right. And uh, but that wasn't this this character. Uh, you, you can live in. You could try to live as this character all the time. Jared Leto does that. That's his style. Daniel Day Lewis, like on Suicide Squad, right. Jared Leto apparently was that maniacal guy sending rats to. <laughs> I don't know if you know that story. I, but, I've uh, heard that story. That 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 would be difficult to work with. Yeah. So, you know, he was trying to just act as this character 
so often that I guess he started to feel like this character. That's one way of approaching it or just finding, getting yourself in the right emotional state before each scene, understanding the character. You don't have to live as the character 24 seven. Once you kind of understand the character's behavior, this, this character, I was, I was trying to, read, well, why else could, would he be so angry at these, these people, these black people, why would he be so angry? And then in studying the lines, I was able to justify a way to find a way how I could at least bring up these same feelings. And then I saw in, in this script, he's clearly extremely jealous of this guy, Epps. Epps is, and in, in this case, Epps, he's six foot five. Hmm. He's taller than him. He's better looking than, than, than me. Um, he's re- much more respected in the community. Apparently he talks to God. You know, in the show, you'll see he's, he's constantly talking to God. And everybody is 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 uh, is is respecting him, and I even mock that. Oh, you think he can talk to God? So I I'm angry at he's the one that gets all the respect, and I'm the one that always gets the short end of the stick. So that was clear in the writing. So I was like, well, let me take that idea and think. Well, have have I ever gotten the short end of the stick? Have do I feel jealous? And you know, and there's. Like I said, in high school, I didn't have a very good experience till I started doing magic. But in the meanwhile, there was a, a lot of a huge part of me that kind of feels that way. That's a place where I can go that in, inferior feeling that I right. can tap into to to make me get in, enraged, right. you know. And um, there is a scene where this uh, the, the black man, he uh he makes me look like a fool. Inadvertently, we challenge him to find water in this well, and he actually ends that we've been looking for for months. He gets in there, and he finds water in an hour, and he and, and it sends me off. It sends me <laughs> off, and I have a little speech about how he made me look like a fool, how he wanted to make me look like a fool. So there it was for me. I'm already feeling insecure and small, and now a person who at that time, this is right after the Civil War, was the lowest person on the totem pole. And here he comes and makes me look like a fool even more. And after that point, I'm off to the races to try to, to try to get him. So from where I could see it, it this is a, a person who's already feeling inferior, already feeling small, a lot of repressed rage. And now here, the the person that and the, the lowest social rung comes in and, and makes me look even smaller. And you know, there's a part of that that I could understand, a part of of being made to feel small, right. uh, you know, from growing up. And and before my scenes, that's what I would focus on. I would get in touch with scenarios of when that had happened to me. Or, or fantasy things that, that could happen to me on that theme. And when I think of that, that gets me going. And once you're in that state and you're in that psych- psychology, you just go right into the scene and you use those lines to express that feeling. And... And that way, it, it's organic. It really comes from me. It feels you know? more genuine. It it absolutely feels more genuine. Yeah. So that's the way I was able to get into the scenes where I was doing, expressing that kind of rage. You know, unfortunately, he was my target because he was the easiest target for this character. Right. But nevertheless, you know, when people do have those hurts inside them, you know, a lot of bullies take stuff out on easy targets. Well, I'm, That's, sh- I'm sure part of what helps with this, though, too, is is the people that you work with. And in this particular project, the cast on this is pretty fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a great cast. It was a great cast. And, uh, you know, if, if, of course, when you're acting this stuff, you want to be opposite people who you who you believe or they're listening to you and behaving as the character it's it the whole thing comes together as a reality 
Yeah, I just it it it, it never ceases to be fascinating because like you're talking about and how to get to the spot to be the character and then thinking about it from the other side where as as they are playing their actor in order to do this right you have to have that level of uh, that level of hostility actually come through so they have to be on the other side and it's got to be genuine so it's got to almost be a little, I know it's still acting, but there's still got to be a level of, of trauma that comes through that, that they know that they're going to have to experience to create this thing. Yes, absolutely. If you want to bring any reality to it, you can't just be acting, acting it at each other with no feeling. There's a scene with, with Grafton. He's the, he's the, 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 the black settler, great guy. And there's a scene where he says something, said look i'm sorry i have to do this to you and you know he goes, he goes no man you do it full on you got to do it yeah. um and he kept saying stuff to me to to piss me off and and i'm like yeah please just keep, I, I go this is all for the sake of the of the, scene. the show and he would you know we were working together he the, the actor in him said i know where you got to go and it's going to help me respond to you if you're able to fully do that. It's for both our sakes. And, uh, you know, ultimately th this scene, I think became pretty well realized. You'll, if, you know, you could see, but we both had to go there and, you know, there's a part that is traumatized, but there's also a part where it's like, yeah, we nailed it. You right. know, <laughs> there's always the watcher in you that, that is pleased that you're, you know, that's what makes the difference between acting and real life. In right. real life, you express these things, you're traumatized. In acting, you express them. You're, it's okay because you're acting, you can still express them, but you know it's still within the realm of play. Right. So there's, even when you're mad, there's a, a feeling of enjoyment because it's... You're creating something. And it's not real life. Right. You, you, it's a safe place to express these feelings. Now, uh, the other project that you're working with is maybe not quite so not quite so dark. <laughs> still, yeah, still, no, no, still dramatic, certainly, but uh, a, a little more lighthearted. Uh, uh, Mosquito Coast. Now, you almost weren't able to participate in this project. There were some pretty unfortunate events that occurred before that. Correct? Yes. Yes. What happened? Um, well, I'm. Uh... I'm going to try to do as brief a run up as I can to this, but uh, which is not easy for me. Um, uh, my my dad uh, for a year had been very, very sick, uh, Parkinson's, prostate cancer, other stuff. And uh, I was flying back and forth between here and New York, uh, between L.A. and New York to take care of him. And he, he ultimately passed away. Um, so it, it was a, a very, very difficult year for me. Um, I'm a passionate skier. Um, that's one of my outlets. Uh, so uh, about a, a couple of months after my dad passed away, I, I just, so, uh, yeah, I got out on the mountain. It was Mammoth Mountain, uh, in California. It's a pretty big mountain, 11,000 feet. And, uh, do you ski or snowboard? No, I tend to just fall. You just fall. Okay. Well, <laughs> better that you don't fall on a mountain. All right. Um, uh, anyway, it was, it was, uh, very icy conditions. Um, I was at a very steep double black diamond called wipeout shoots. Um, yeah. I, uh, my ski caught, I ended up on my stomach, uh, flying face down on diamond very, very, very fast. Ouch. Uh, and there are huge rock walls all around me on this run. So uh, as I was shooting on my stomach like a human toboggan past these rock walls, I basically thought that I was going to die. Um, I, for real, I thought it was over at that at that moment. Um, my hand, I believe, hit a rock, uh, completely smashed my my left hand. I had seven pins in my my thumb and three operations on my hand uh 
when I hit this rock, I started going into a head over heels tumble. Uh, they call this a, a tomahawk spin. It's like when you see a tomahawk going like that. Right. That was my body. Um, I was flipping like that for about 400 feet till I blacked out. Uh, but I survived. Um, I was brought to the hospital and my thumb was badly broken and I tore my ACL. Uh, and uh, basically, this part in Mosquito Coast, I had booked two weeks prior to this ski accident. And I was supposed to be shooting it two weeks after the accident. Man. So, uh, so, you know, I had two thoughts after I came to on the snow. One is I, I hope I can use my left hand again uh, for the rest of my life. And the other thought was, I, I think I just lost this huge acting job. Um, um, I, I ended up with a cast on my arm, obviously. And, uh, my agent uh, reached out to production of the show. This is an Apple Plus TV show, and um, and uh, told the uh, told them they passed it on to the director, and the director ultimately said that my character, that was the sheriff of Yuma, Arizona, it would be okay for him to have a cast because I'm in law enforcement and you, you never, you never know. Right. That can we'll, happen. You know, we'll have people sign it up. So it has some character and you could even gesticulate with it during the scene and make, make something of it. And uh, we're not even going to tell the audience, you know, why you have a cast. It's just one of those uh, strange quirks that right. characters have. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I ended up going down to Mexico and shooting this thing. Uh, the only problem was um, I was in extreme pain because I had all these pins literally coming out of my hand and the cast was pushing into them. Oh. And, and so my arm was in extreme pain. So I w was on oxy at the time, which I'm not, oh, you know, which I did not, thank God, get addicted to. But, <laughs> you know, I was on it. So I was in extreme pain and on oxy while i was shooting the episode but it, it it ultimately uh it ultimately um the scene went great after several takes that's 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 kind of crazy and it it's it makes you anytime you have a, a, a near death experience you you gain more often than not a new appreciation for what you've got but uh being able to go directly from that into that sort of uh, scenario where you're, you're doing such a big job had to have been really surreal. Oh, it was utterly surreal. I mean, yeah, it, I, I was still completely out of it and they flew me down to Mexico. And the next I'm in this very strange border town in a hotel in Mexicali, you know, the whole town is kind of a bizarre place, you know, it's, Mexicali is not exactly, you know, Cancun and, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, yeah, it was very, very strange, uh, strange experience. The huge director, there were helicopters on the set and, uh, you know, even without the accident and being on oxy, it, 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 it's, it was a surreal experience. So, well, I've heard nothing but positive things about both of these shows. They're, they're, as we were talking a little bit before, there I've seen bits of one, and I, you know, you never have enough time to watch everything that you really love. But uh, th this definitely oh, yeah. has now made it up my list a little higher, just because of the associated things that have happened. And uh, from what you've described, I have to have to see. I'm oh. going to be looking for that for that glazed look uh, <laughs> when when you're when oh, you're seeing. Well, there was one other one other uh, thing that made it a little more surreal. The, the scene begins with this helicopter land. And the these FBI agents getting out of it. So they they were in a helicopter and they flew it around and they landed and I had to approach the landing helicopter as the sheriff. This was literally a few days after Kobe Bryant's uh, oh. horrible accident. Hmm. So everybody was kind of creeped out about that. And yeah, yeah. you know that would so be that a added another layer of <laughs> realness. <laughs> little little difficult. 
All right. Well, let's let's end things on a uh, completely unrelated and light note. I have a couple of questions I ask everybody that's on the show just because of what we normally talk about being uh, pop culture and often the intersection between comic books and television and film. Uh, I always like to ask uh, if the person that I'm talking to has ever been a fan of comic books or if they have been able to um, immerse themselves into the litany of different television and film that has been based on comic books recently. Uh, Comic books directly. I never really got into, although one of my, my closest friends, a friend I was with on Broadway, John Stanisi is a comic book artist, uh, works for DC and Marvel and a lot. You, I don't know if you're a fan, you might know who he is. His name is John Stanisi. He's worked on a lot, a lot of stuff. He's also an actor. So, um, you know, I, I actually get a personal view of his work and some of the, uh, previews of, of some of the, the things and you know a lot of people would die to have a connection to this guy who who's a huge comic book fan i just know him as my buddy so um but shows that are based on comics um yeah tons of tons of uh, isn't that pretty much everything nowadays <laughs> it, it does I mean, feel like it doesn't it <laughs> you know what isn't based on that nowadays but um absolutely i mean i was around when the first comic book movie came out superman with steve with um christopher reeves yeah, it definitely feels you know. feels like it's it's been happening uh for a, lo- a while we've actually the very first comic book film came out a lot sooner than that <laughs> a lot earlier there have been uh, films based on comic strips and comic books since the late 1800s but uh, oh, so okay, there's there's a lot okay. of stuff. A lot of people think about the serials back in the 40s because there was actually a Superman serial and a Batman serial and a Captain Marvel serial that were that were all kind of associated with the films that you would go see. They would play in episodes. Oh, oh yes, the the, the TV series of of, of Superman, right. of course, I remember that George Reeve, right? right? <laughs> so I mean, there's so much great history with that. So yeah. that kind of plays into it. If you had the chance. To play any character based in comics, uh, who would you absolutely love to play? God, I, I don't. You know, that's a question I've never, ever even thought of. You know, I um, I have friends. This is kind of a strange answer. I have friends that that I feel have a superhero complex, and a lot of these guys are, they're tall, good-looking, very idealistic guys, and 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 I could t- they work out, and I could tell, and they're comic book fans, and I could tell inside their heads they're they're a superhero. I've always, you know, I've never had that. I've always been the guy who's the underdog, and maybe someone who uh, does things wrong. And I mean, I mean, who who in comic book lore would that be? Would that be Spider Man? I don't know. There are a comic book hero who appears to be uh I guess I guess the Hulk is kind of maybe that kind of a guy. He's David Banner, he's uh, you know, an, a nerdy scientist, and then right. he becomes this this thing. I mean, that's that would be the uh the that- comic book. Oh, 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 this is kind of wait a second. Oh, you got something. Wait a second. I do have another project coming up. Mm-hmm. Where I do play, oh my God, I can't believe you asked me that question and I didn't think of this right off the bat. Um, I'm about to do a project on Tuesday. It's an independent episodic film that the producers are going to try to sell to Netflix. Mm-hmm. And it's about these superheroes that don't want their superpowers for various reasons. And I am playing a, a, a priest with X-ray vision. <laughs> okay <laughs> x-ray vision is my superpower and uh, i'm currently seeing a very attractive female therapist at, who i cannot look at while i'm trying to get, tell her my issues because i can see everything and it is causing me this priest a, a, a great disturbance because i cannot preach in in church because i see all the congregation naked and so it's 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 literally tormenting me to have this this superpower so that's excellent 
<laughs> that's that's the superhero that I am currently about to be, which is more you know closer to. <laughs> The that is, see that's the absolute joy. There's there's such a width and breadth of what you can get from comics. Uh, anything from the normal tights and spandex uh, to just some very different different uh, takes on things. I, I always liked uh, Mystery Men when you're talking about the people that were maybe not quite normal heroes. Uh, they that particular film was based on uh, the flaming carrot uh, from back in the day, but the their powers. When they had them, not all that useful. <laughs> it was right, just right, kind right. of kind of really a, a fun thing, and so you can all, you can have a lot of joy that goes with that. How about something I know for sure that essentially everybody has an opinion on? We like to we like to ask my co-host when he is able to join us. Always ask this question, so I'll ask it here. Are you a pizza person and what type of pizza is your pizza are you a new york slice are you kind of a, a west coast uh, are you a deep dish kind of uh, what 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 do you go for in terms of pizza oh well you you gotta remember i'm actually from new york yeah. so look i Cal there's a lot of good things about california but pizza is not one of them <laughs> you know <laughs> You know, there are, look, I don't want to completely disparage L.A. pizza. There's a few few places, but it's absolutely New York pizza. They even say that there's something in the water. I, I don't know if this is true or not, that there's something in the water that creates the, the crust for the pizza in New York that just somehow works. So definitely, definitely New York pizza, definitely thin crust, um, a lot of cheese, although... I, my cholesterol is a little high right now, so I've been really trying to cut down on the cheese. But it would definitely be New York pizza. Uh, I believe the place is in the uh, West Village. It was called, I think, I think John's Pizza. John's Pizzeria. Uh, nice. Got in to, New York. Just like, just like theater and like film, food can bring us together, and we can all just love the, love the differences that we have. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It's been an absolute joy to have you on. If people want to follow you, what is the best place that they can go to see what you're up to and what's going on next? Well, um, I am I am sort of a dinosaur when it comes to social media. Um, the, all, I, all I have at the moment is my personal Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's Gene Silvers. Nice. Um, you know, I I uh, I don't have a, a, a mammoth amount of friends, so I suppose I, I could accept a few more as long as you're not crazy. <laughs> you know. Well, there's no guarantees there. You know. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny when accepting this part for them. I was afraid to do it because of what my character does. Right. I was afraid there might be a few crazy angry people that may take it personally at, on at the actors so that happens more often than we like to think yeah yeah so um yeah. my facebook page well perfect well we'll definitely keep an eye out i personally will definitely keep an eye out for that uh that project that you just mentioned uh being particularly fixated on superheroes and the like that sounds like it's right up my alley <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, and just just so I don't know if we mentioned the two shows that I'm in. One is called Them, right? And um, I'm in episode nine of that. Uh, it's the black and the only black and white episode. I love those. And um, and the other one is Mosquito Coast. It's with Justin Thoreau, and I'm in the second episode. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate your time, and we will look forward to seeing you in the future. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Don't forget, Putting People, to catch us on all of our social media to keep up to date with what's going on in the world of pudding. Where are you most active, Richard? Well, you could see some of my activity on our Instagram account. Would that happen to be at Pudding Guys? That one would, yes. Amazing. You know what? That is also our Facebook so you can about once a month <laughs> see, see if you're lucky. Something. If you're lucky, we'll post something on Facebook. We're probably most most on Twitter at Real Pudding Guys, but of course you can catch us on Patreon as 
Pudding Guys. That's right. Where for just $1 a day, you can support us as we bring you new interviews, new material, new stuff to make our interviews and material look better. It's just fantastic for only a dollar a month. Hey, Paul, a dollar's not a lot. No, it's, not really. It really isn't. That's actually $12 over the course of a year. Right. Small change to help the Pudding Guys keep going. And we love our supporters. Don't forget to check us out next week, Pudding People. We will be having a top 10 list. The return of the top 10s. What are we talking about, Richard? Science fiction picture shows. We are really excited about this one. We are huge fans of science fiction, and as I'm sure many of you are as well, I wonder how close our list will be to yours. 